This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for October 12th, 2018. In this week's episode, Bloomberg says Apple and Amazon server hardware was infiltrated. The tech giants say no, somebody has to be wrong. Plus, Google Plus packs it in. A look back at our first year of podcasts. And a quick question from a listener about digital certificate validation. How's it work? The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Hey, Josh, happy anniversary. Hey, happy anniversary, Kirk. It's been a year. We've been together for one year. Believe it or not. Yeah, that's awesome. It feels like it's been just a few weeks. Well, <laughs> our experiences together are still fresh and young and hmm. delightful and full of. And this okay. is one of the high points <laughs> of my week. No, yeah, we, we definitely have fun recording this show, I think. It's good stuff. So, one year we've been talking about security for Apple devices, Macs, iPhones, iPads, etc. And looking back at the episodes that we've covered, it's kind of interesting how many topics we've covered in a year. And, and I'm not talking about news topics. I'm just talking about general topics, which shows how complex the, the whole security and privacy issue is regarding these devices. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to some of the episodes we mentioned here. We're just going to go through a few of them. The ones where we've taken really deep dives, where we've looked at something in a great amount of detail, like episode six was a very interesting article because one of the biggest issues in security and privacy is passwords. And so the episode is called Passwords Are Hard, and then in parentheses, Correct Horse Battery Staple. You'll have to listen to the episode to know what that means. And what we did is we went through all of the best practices for creating and using passwords. That's right. Yeah. And there's there's lots of really good information on, on that episode. We also later um, talked about two-factor authentication. And actually, on the previous episode, we had talked about two-factor authentication, which goes right hand in hand with that password topic because yes, passwords are hard. And so therefore, you know, you can't just use the same password on every site because once that one site gets compromised and your password gets out, now somebody can use your email address and password to log into any other place where you've used the same email address and password. So there's also two-factor authentication, and that's a really important topic that we, we talked about in episode five. Episode number 15 is one of our most popular episodes. What's a VPN and why should you use one? A VPN is a virtual private network, and it's a way of both securing and masking your communication, either from your iPhone to the internet or from your Mac to the internet. Right. VPNs are really, really useful for a lot of reasons. And we're actually going to have another show in the near future where we talk more about VPNs and what they're useful for. I was kind of improvising in episode number seven, talking about the sort of nefarious people that sneak in and try to steal your data. And I brought up Tom Cruise because when you see Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible movies, you know, doing the craziest things, the, these are the kinds of things that we think is going on in computer security. Of course, it's not often like that, but you do need to prepare for the sort of Tom Cruise, you know, the guy who's hanging from the ceiling by his feet so he doesn't step on an alarm or something like that. So in episode seven, which is called Tom Cruise is in the row behind you, we started bringing in that repeating gag about Tom Cruise, but it's not really a gag. Just last week, we talked about some Russian hackers who were caught in the Netherlands using some sort of Tom Cruise tactics. While these aren't the kind of people who are going to harass 
ordinary users, it is kind of important to realize that computer security is designed to prevent the most extreme methods of accessing your data. There are lots of different ways that someone can try to hack you. And it's fun to talk about these topics. And, and yeah, so the, the Tom Cruise thing, for those who are newer to the show, that's when we're talking about Tom Cruise, that's what that's a reference to. Episode 30, we asked the question, what is a firewall and how does it work? And that's another one of our very popular episodes. A firewall is one of the key elements that you use to secure your computer. It's important to know how it works. It's important to know how to configure the firewall so you're protected, but so you can still access the outside world. Firewalls are a great topic. We'll probably get into some more discussion of that at some point in the future, but there's software firewalls, hardware firewalls, and they protect your computer and and your network access in different ways. Um, So that's a great episode. Another episode that I think is really cool is the is the delete your social media history. We talked about that. It um, was the week after the firewall episode. Yeah. yeah, back in May, episode 31. And that's a really useful thing, especially in the context of things we've been discussing recently with, with uh, Facebook and that we'll be talking about today with Google+. There's some good reasons why you might want to clear out some of the things that you've got in your social media profiles. And in your social media accounts. Yeah, we did that episode after I wrote an article for the Intego Max Security blog about how to delete old tweets and Facebook posts, which I did for my own accounts. I went through and deleted almost everything that was prior to this year. And it's kind of interesting when you look back and see how much stuff you have actually posted on these places. And it makes you think about how much personal information you've shared that someone may use to create a profile of you. Episode 36 in June talks about how to lock down and secure your router. And that's a really important thing to do. Remember those Russian hackers we were talking about? They were trying to get into the Wi-Fi of the Organization for the Prevention of Chemical Weapons. And apparently the OPCW had locked down and secured their routers. Right. And there's a lot of things that people can do that even a consumer can do to secure their Wi-Fi a lot better. One of the things that we, I think we talked about back then was it's important to make sure you're, that your firmware is up to date on your wireless router. And as part of that, you also need to make sure that it's still supported, that your, ma- that your manufacturer is still releasing firmware updates for whatever model that you've got which they may not be. If you bought it a few years ago, there's a good chance that they've moved on and they're not releasing firmware updates. And that could be, you know, a serious security risk. I'm not sure if we've mentioned Microtik routers specifically on the show, but they've been in the news a lot in recent months uh, because of their just terrible, really awful security. And so if you've got a Microtik router in particular, you need to be taking a look at that and do do some searches on Google News or whatever your preferred news platform is. Read up more about Microtik routers. Okay, I'm going to invite listeners to check out the main show page at podcast.intego.com to check out all our previous episodes. Of course, if you subscribe to iTunes, you can download every episode and listen to all 51 of them, including this one makes 52. Or if you use Overcast or another app, download them all. You'll find plenty of interesting things. In this week's news, we were mentioning social media before, and when was the last time you went to Google Plus? Google Plus. <laughs> you remember that, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's like Google's version of MySpace? <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's not something that uh, I've really used very often for 
several years. I mean, occasionally I've gone on there to, to post a link to some article that I've written or, or a podcast episode maybe, but there's so little interaction there that I kind of don't really stick around. Yeah, I, I set up a Google Plus profile when they launched it because this is what I do. This is my work, you know, writing about this stuff. And I had long had a Google Plus share button on my website because I figured if I didn't, Google might demote me in search results. So I was very happy when they announced that they were shutting down Google+. It's interesting how they say they're shutting it down for consumers. Maybe they're leaving a, a business version open. But it's the reason why they did this. There was an undisclosed data breach. So basically, they leaked data, and in, instead of trying to fix it or apologize, they just shut down Google+. One report I read said that the average session time on Google+, was five seconds. So it clearly wasn't being used a lot. So Google Plus launched in 2011. It lasted for seven years, and it is gone to the great social media graveyard in the sky, along with MySpace and Ping. You remember Ping? It was Apple's thing that was connected to iTunes, and there's all sorts of social media things that we just don't remember. And one day someone's going to, will be really old and sitting around someday, oh, do you remember this one? And you'll remember having spent years on something like, I don't know, Tumblr. I don't know if anyone pays attention to that. Before we take a break, we want to congratulate our September survey winner, Sandy R. in New South Wales, Australia. Good day, Sandy. Thanks for taking our survey. You will receive a 100 US dollar Visa gift card, not Australian dollar. I'm not sure whether the Australian dollar is worth more or less than the US dollar right now. So spend it wisely. So two weeks ago, we asked our listeners to send in some questions for Josh and me. And the winner is going to get a one-year subscription to Intego Mac Internet Security X9. The question comes from Derek R. And he asks, how do digital certificates work when verifying a host identity, such as a website or the publisher of an installer? Josh, can you give us a quick answer to this question? Sure. I think there's kind of two parts to this question. So the first one is, how does a certificate prove that the website that I'm going to is really operated by that company or group that claims to run that website? And in particular, I think where, where this is useful is if you're looking at, you know, hey, is, is this link that I clicked on, is that a phishing link? Or if I typed in a domain, did I type it incorrectly? Am I really at the, the right website? Digital certificates don't necessarily definitively prove that you're connected to the site that you think that you're connected to. So this is, I think, a really common misconception about, um, you know, HTTPS. You know, a lot of people think that, well, if I'm at HTTPS something or other, if I see that padlock icon in my browser address bar, then that means that I'm, I'm securely connected to the site that I think I'm connected to. What it really means is that you have a secure connection to that site and may not necessarily be the one that you think that you're connected to. So how do they verify a host identity is this question. I would say it's more a matter of really proving that that connection has security between you and, and the party that you're connected to more than it has to do with the identity of that server. Now, there is something called extended validation certificates, which is something that, of course, you know, the companies that issued digital certificates want you to purchase because they cost a lot more. And a lot of um, companies with 
tons and tons of money, uh, like Apple, for example, get these extended validation certificates because, hey, why not? I mean, they got tons of money, so there's, there's no reason not to. Well, but they're more interested in preventing phishing and making sure that people know that the website that they're at is their website. That's true. Yeah. And most banks, um, you know, use extended validation certificates and, and, you know, various other sites do as well. Interestingly, while you were talking, Josh, I typed in a few URLs in Safari and Apple clearly uses this EV extended valuation certificate. You can tell because the padlock bit in the, in the address bar is green. But I was very surprised to find that Google and Microsoft don't use this. Right. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Because, you know, you would expect a big company to just automatically go with the most expensive certificate. And and they don't necessarily do that, even the big ones. So you mentioned this showed up green for you. It may show up differently depending on what browser and what version of a browser you're using. It looks very different whether you're using the latest version of Safari uh, the current version of Chrome, um, even upcoming versions of Chrome are changing the way that it's displaying an extended validation site. In a, in a future version of Chrome, instead of seeing the name of the company with the padlock before you see the something.com, you will eventually just see a lock icon and then the word secure if it has an extended validation certificate. And then a site that has an SSL certificate but is but is not extended validation it will just have a padlock without the word secure or a company name okay we're going to go into more detail about this on next week's show because there are a lot more things to know about here for example josh said it's really expensive but there are different levels of extended validation certificates you can get some for less than 200 dollars a year or you can pay a couple of thousand they include insurance in some cases a warranty of one or two million dollars so I think we'll take a deep dive into this next week. We'll talk about certificates in general and extended validation certificates in particular in next week's show. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the really big news. We mentioned it in last week's show. It had just broken about this big hack article in Bloomberg about some Chinese people used a tiny little chip to infiltrate U.S. companies. It had broken just hours before we recorded last week's episode. And frankly, it's a good thing we didn't talk about it then. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Indigo's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. 
Visit Intego.com today. So before the break, I mentioned that there was this story in Bloomberg that they called the big hack, how China used a tiny chip to infiltrate U.S. companies. This was a pretty big story as computer security stories go. You know, often there's a data breach and we just talked about Google or, you know, passwords have leaked or something like this. But here we're talking about allegations. It's a very long article with details and allegations that Chinese, maybe intelligence services, put tiny little chips, which they mentioned were the size of a grain of rice, onto motherboards of a lot of devices. Some of these devices were used as servers in data centers by Apple and Amazon. And I think there was a lot of messaging and slacking and emailing after this story broke among people in security. It wasn't long before Apple and Amazon both came out and gave some extremely strong responses. You know, usually when a company denies something like this about security, they're like, well, blah, blah, blah. No, it's not us. And they try to move on. But this was in a lot of detail. Josh, I know you've been looking at this very, very closely. Can you tell us what's going on? Because on the one hand, we have an issue that's really interesting about hardware. But on the other hand, there's this whole issue about the process of this story coming out and these really forceful denials and pushbacks. One of the important things to look at here is that there are two sides to this story. Yep. There's what Bloomberg is claiming, which is essentially that the Chinese government has infiltrated major U.S. companies, including, and they mentioned by name, Apple and Amazon. And they said there's about 30 companies that were infiltrated because there was an extra little chip that was on a particular piece of hardware that these companies all used. They used super microcomputing power, and there was a tiny little grain of rice size chip that was added on that was not, you know, a part of the specifications. And supposedly, according to, to Bloomberg, this gave whoever, the Chinese government, access potentially to all kinds of things. And What's interesting is they don't really get into very many technical details about how that might work exactly, which is, I mean, not terribly surprising. Bloomberg is kind of intended for general consumption, but it leaves a lot to be desired from the perspective of really validating their claims. Normally with something like this, there would also be a software component too, if if you're talking about data exfiltration and things. Um, the claims were pretty murky by themselves. And then you had these really strong denials by Apple and Amazon that anything like what was being described ever happened. They said, no, we've never had conversations with the FBI or any other intelligence agency about these things that the Bloomberg is claiming that we have. We haven't used any compromised um, hardware. This is just not true. And they were very, very clear about that. Now, what that means, and some people might say, well, of course, I mean, it's it's in their best interest to claim that they have no knowledge of something like this if it did happen. However, if if they're found, you know, to be not telling the truth about that, then there are some really major legal consequences um, for for lying about something like this. Yeah, especially as far as the SEC is concerned, because this is information for shareholders. And if it turns out that they're misleading shareholders, that could have serious consequences. Absolutely. And I mean, to the degree that company executives could go to jail and, you know, I mean, it could be really, really bad news. 
uh, if, if these companies are lying. Bloomberg, however, has decided to stick to their guns on the story. There's so many different angles to this. One interesting piece that came up was uh, Risky Business is a is a, uh, a security podcast. It's also a Tom Cruise movie, actually. It's also a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> I was just about to say that. <laughs> um, uh, and on this podcast, they actually interviewed a guy who was quoted and named in the article as as kind of a source. And the article implied that that you know they went to this guy about this specific incident and and asked him questions about it. And in in this interview, he talks about how well they kind of took what I said out of context. They had asked me if something like this were to happen, what would it mean? Describe the process of how this stuff would work, right? And so he described it for them. So this was kind of like, here's a hypothetical question I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, right. And and then they took what he said, and whether it's coincidence or not, ultimately this article pretty much followed that roadmap of how he described that a breach like this could happen. So that could mean that maybe Bloomberg used what he told them when they were interviewing these, I think they said 17 different sources. And maybe that kind of led them in the direction on which, what questions to ask possibly. But um, there's really, there's so much that's just unanswered here. I'll link to a TechCrunch article entitled Bloomberg's spy chip story reveals the murky world of national security reporting. And one thing it points out is Back when the Edward Snowden information came out about PRISM, the NSA's program that involved a number of tech companies, and the article points out, including Apple, but not Amazon, these companies all came out vehemently denying any involvement or connection. And the article says the companies also had plausible deniability by cherry picking what they rebuffed. Despite a claim by the government that PRISM had direct access to tech companies' servers, the companies responded that this wasn't true. They did not, however, refute indirect access, which the companies wouldn't be able to say in any case. So I think we're in a situation where I think the issue here is we can't know. But what's more interesting is what are the implications of something like this actually happening? You know, we do talk mostly about software being a problem, malware, Trojan horses, things like that, or people getting access through a network. In fact, we'll talk about an Ethernet hack in just a second. But what are the implications of some rogue actor putting a certain chip on a motherboard? I would think on the one hand that this has to be detectable by software, but if they're good enough to get the chip made and put it on a motherboard, they figured out a way for it to avoid software. We generally trust the hardware in companies for whom we buy things. But when you think about all the security cameras that people buy for their homes, that are all made by three or four Chinese companies and sold under different brands. How reliable are these? Well, if if you're really a believer in the concept of trust no one, then that also means that you're going to have to manufacture your own computer. <laughs> you're going to have to... Yeah, but then I wouldn't trust what you're saying either, Josh. <laughs> I, I know, but there is, a, there is a level of trust that we you need have to, to have at a certain point. Yeah, you have yeah. to have some level of trust whether you like it or not, because I, I mean, you're not going to, you know, people don't have access to the engineering knowledge to build their own everything. And not to mention you, you know, even if you built your own computer, you're still accessing the internet because what are you going to do? Build another internet? <laughs> Just mean, for yourself and your like, friends. Yeah. So, so at some point, although you may not be very trusting 
of everybody, you have to realize that there are certain things that you just kind of have to trust on some level. And given the scale of the companies involved, when when we talk about Apple and Amazon, I think people need to think of a number of things. These these aren't iPhones or Apple's computers. These are talking about servers that Apple uses in their data centers. So this is iCloud. This is iTunes. This is all the data that Apple stores. When we talk about Amazon, bear in mind that the largest part of Amazon's business is not selling you books, diapers, and cat toys. It is being the back end for most of the internet through Amazon Web Services or AWS. So Amazon here, we're talking about Amazon's data centers that are hosting most websites in the world, uh, most large websites that are hosting cloud storage for other companies. I think Apple stores some of their data on Amazon and Google cloud servers as well. Also, remember that the cloud, it's just someone else's computer. Right. That's, that's a good principle to remember. Anytime that you ever hear anybody talking about the cloud, it sounds like this sort of ethereal thing that just is out there somewhere. And it's, you know, maybe it's secure, maybe it's not, but it's not, it's not a mythical thing. It's really, it's, it's just other people's servers, other people's computers. So there was another story about a tampered Chinese Ethernet port that was used to hack major U.S. telecom companies. Interestingly, it was Bloomberg who reported this too. And a lot of telecom companies are saying, nope, not me. Not me. <laughs> yeah. And and it's almost as though, and Bloomberg, you know, makes a very clear connection between these two articles. It's almost as though they released this article as a way of sort of defending themselves and saying, no, no, look, we have more uh, here. Here's, here's some more stuff to look at. Again, they're making claims that are plausible to some degree. And they're also naming an exact source an individual person who has, you know, worked in a position where he would have access to this knowledge. I, I would say this article is actually more plausible. But what they're claiming is th that some unnamed U.S. telecom uh, found manipulated hardware in its supermicro servers. So again, that same company comes up here. AT&T is issues denial. Uh, Verizon, T-Mobile, Sprint, CenturyLink. So what U.S. telecom are they talking about? I, I mean, we, we, we listed the main ones right there. AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, Sprint are kind of the, the big four in the United States. So who are they even talking about then? But would any of these companies actually admit it? Because here, here we're dealing with something that's not just user data, but national security. This gets a lot more, this is way above our pay grade. I mean, you know, really, we're, we're speculating on things that if this is a national security issue, well, then maybe they are going to deny it and they don't care what happens afterwards. I think what this does point out, though, is, you know, that lightning cable you bought on Amazon for five bucks, you don't know what's in it. You really don't. And as you said earlier, we do have to trust companies and things, but maybe that's why we paid $20 for the lightning cable from Apple. Right. Yeah. Buy it from Apple official and then <laughs> you'll, you'll probably have a better chance of not getting some secret embedded thing, stealing your data and siphoning it off and sending it off to some foreign server. OK, we're going to keep our eyes on this in the coming weeks, and it'll be interesting to see how this pans out if it turns out to be two bogus stories or if it turns out that, well, maybe there was something in the way the companies denied it wasn't 100 percent denial Take a look back at podcast.intego.com at the previous 51 episodes. If you're a new listener, we've got all sorts of great stuff. Drop us an email at podcast at if you have any questions. 
And we'll be back next week. Until then, Josh, stay secure. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.